Making Her Way introduces you to the brilliant, ambitious women behind some of your favorite products and asks them to share their motivations and the practical strategies they've used to achieve their goals. In each episode, we discuss the exact process of bringing a new product to market and to success. Join me as we discuss design, manufacturing, sustainability, and modern marketing. My name is Sarah Lidwell Darnan, and my goal is to bridge the gap between up and coming product creators and the women who are out there already changing the world. In today's episode of Making Her Way, I'm meeting Chris Galmarini, designer and founder of Neve and Hawk, cult clothing brand in California, featuring gorgeously wearable and ethically produced women's wear, alongside collaborations and a flagship store in San Anselmo. She's going to be talking to us about how she started her children's wear collection, why she pulled out of all her retailers, and why she feels more content in her business now than ever before. So hello, can you please introduce yourself and tell us what it is that you make? Of course, I am Chris Galmarini and I own Nevin Hawk, which is um, a sustainable clothing brand um, for actually everyone, mostly women's, but we do some kids and we're actually um, starting to do men's in the fall. So um, more like a family lifestyle brand out of San Francisco. Wow, that's amazing. And how long have you been running? Um, actually, today is our four-year anniversary of, the, of our store that we opened. But our my brand has been around in some context for um, about 10 years, maybe a little less. Yeah. Oh, wow. And that's the, the brand Nevin Hawk has been for like 10 years. Yeah, so it started out... Um, called Nev Inspired. And that was just my husband and I creating stuff in our house when the kids went to sleep. And we started selling what we created. And that then merged into Nev and Hawk, which launched in 2012. So the infancy of the brand has been 10 years, but the actual like we are a clothing brand, we went to market, um, we manufactured was has been eight years. And what was your original inspiration behind the brand? How did you get started? Um, you know, we, I think like many parents, I just had my second child and um, my husband is an artist and I, um, I don't know if I consider myself an artist, but I, I, I found myself lost um, in new parenthood. <laughs> I wanted to find myself again and we at the time couldn't afford babysitters um that much so we decided to take it in our own hands and when our kids went to sleep we would pour wine and play music and we just started combining our arts I I loved to sew I've never been trained and what my I'm technically horrible but my mind went to design and his mind went to um, designing a different aspect, screen printing and et cetera. And so we started, we turned our master bedroom into an art room basically. And we would, we would hide out there when the kids went to bed and we started to find ourselves again. It sounds incredibly cheesy, but it's true. 
Um, and that's how it all started. Yeah. That's absolutely lovely. And what were the first products that you started selling then? So we started out just the basic t-shirts. Occasionally we would, um, um, I would make garments for little kids. It was all children based in the beginning. Um, and that led to us doing a Kickstarter and heading to Playtime New York um, with a whole collection of kid clothing that we actually got sampled um, and manufactured, which is an, a funny story in itself. Um, and so it, and originally it was just all children's clothing. Um, yeah. So tell me the funny story about the manufacturing. So we wanted... I don't, I don't know. I guess it's the way I was raised. And I, as an adult, realize how um, the gift that was given to me and this simple thing alone, but I was never um, led to believe as the right way to put it, that I couldn't do something. So I grew up a single mom and three kids in West Virginia. We didn't have a ton of resources, but there was never a time that that was in my face of, well, you can't do something. It was always just assumed that anything you wanted to do, you could. So, um, and I think that that's such a gift. It was never, um, well, have you thought this through? I don't know if you have the resource, how are you going to pay for that? That never really happened. It was like, okay, well, you'll find a way. And I think that that has led into how um, we've been able to grow this for the last 10 years, because um, it's just, there's no road. I don't, automatically think of roadblocks. Um, so when we first started, I knew I had ideas of all these garments that I actually wanted to do in my head and I would make them really, really poorly. And I had a friend helping me that would make them a little better. Um, but I knew I wanted to get to market. I knew I wanted an actual clothing brand. So, um, I had made my daughter something, um, and we were in New York and there happened to be ENK, which is the children's clothing show. And so we happened. So someone said, oh, you're there. You should go walk it. So we went and walked it. And um, when we were walking it, this lady came out of the booth and was like, where did you get her outfit? And so we were just talking to her and we were like, Oh, you know, I made it. And it was really kind of wild. It's very Japanese influenced, but pinned at the time, like some, some tucks and it was a skirt that was also a dress. And it was, I wanted to make sure kids could wear these items for years. And it was, um, so she, she was just like, I've never seen anything like it. I've been in this business. I've never seen anything like it. It's really amazing. And we just talked for a little while and then um, we left and we started walking the show again. And she literally ran and found us again and was like, I can't get this out of my head. I don't own the business I'm working for, but I need, you need to start a brand. And like, I want to help you start. I want to help you with any questions you have. We, we manufacture, um, a lot overseas, but we also do domestic and I can help you where I am. And basically that one encounter, um, was like, okay, let's do this. And I got on the phone with her, maybe a week later and she helped me, gave me any resource that she had. Um, and it gave me the confidence, um, to, to pursue it. So I got on, she was in Los Angeles. And at the time we lived in Charleston, South Carolina, and I got on a plane and flew to LA and she basically said, go to the garment district. There's this one building. I know nobody in there, but apparently there's a lot of pattern makers and knock on doors. And so I just flew there. 
and just knocked on doors and asked, can somebody help me? Here's my bad samples. Here's what I want to do. Can somebody help me turn this? And, and within a week I had samples of the whole line. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And did you have everything manufactured in the U S then? Yep. And we still, well, we just now switched to Peru, but we still do it. The ethical production stateside originally was very important to me. I think as we've grown, I realized there's a gap in production in the U.S. that um, that I needed to find. Um, but yeah, everything was produced at that time in Los Angeles. Wow, that's amazing to get everything produced locally because that's a huge challenge for a lot of brands to get things produced affordably and locally. And kind of that balancing of price is really, really difficult. I, I don't think I think that that's the hardest. It's it's expensive, and if you go in the U.S and you find it relatively inexpensive, you need to, I think it's caution to, to investigate that supply chain. And if the um, employees are being treated well and being pay, paid fair, I think that's a, and so um, there are, there are very bad practices in the U S just like there are good practices in other countries. I think that's a misconception that all U S manufacturing is good. It's not. Um, and um, and so that's been interesting to figure out. And I feel like it's a very, that it's our duty to make sure that everything, everyone along the path of a garment is paid fair and treated well. Um, and that's really what's important to us. That's really interesting because I have seen that occasionally in pricing where manufacturers claim to be based in the US or in Australia and their pricing is suspiciously cheap. And you're like, yeah, it's not though, mm-hmm. is it? You're making it in Bangladesh and bringing it over and saying, you know, right? it's not there. You can tell when people aren't being honest, but I guess if you're desperately looking for the lowest prices, you might turn a blind eye to something that maybe, you know, in your heart isn't right. So that's- I think that's so, that, I think that's so true. And I, I think, I also think that there's, um, a lot of education that needs to happen to the consumer about the supply chain. Um, you know, I have a sister that really loves couponing and I, I love her so much. And she'll be like, Oh, I found these five shirts for $5. And you're like, but what does that mean? Who's behind? Why are those five shirts, $5? They would never sell them if they're not getting a profit still, which, so I can't even comprehend having the fabric and people paid in, for that money like there there is a whole story and there are people attached to those behind everything and um and i think that most people don't even stop not in a bad way they just don't stop to think about that they assume that something that's expensive someone's being um selfish and they want a lot of money and they're overcharging when that's a lot of times is completely opposite i mean our stuff is relatively um, price well for what it is, but it's still, you know, a skirt is $140, but my margins are way smaller than the margins of the $5 t-shirt. That's with the supply chain that's broken and, um, and people being, um, oppressed in the process. Yeah. I think consumers have become so accustomed to those five shirts for $5 that they're resistant Yes. To more ethically priced goods because they're still craving that quick fix you get by being mm-hmm. able to buy five shirts a couple of times a week instead of buying a skirt being a thing you do that you, you might save up for it or you might right. wait until next month to get that nice skirt. We don't 
you're not going to get that instant hit well with right with sustainable fashion so no you're yeah. not and i and i i mean that's basically um changing a whole system of of buying patterns um and and what's behind that and that that's going to take years and years and years but i think it's something that's important to um to be a part of for sure yeah yeah so tell me how did you get your first hundred sales then? So you started manufacturing, you got mm-hmm. you started working with the manufacturers in LA, you started actually putting things into production. So yes. those first hundred sales, how did they come about? Or even the That's first hundred sales? That's a really great sales? question. So we basically did the, the original samples to go to a market called Playtime, which is another children's market, but it's um, geared more towards higher end ethical um sustainable um brands what's it called again sorry playtime 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 yeah Mm -hmm. and so we um that was our goal so we took those samples and we went thinking you know there's there's big brands here there's small brands we don't know what's gonna happen that was in new york um and we got our first hundred sales because by the time we left that weekend, we were in almost 20 stores. So That's it was, brilliant. yeah. And which sounds great, but then you have the problem of oh, na- producing samples is very different than producing actual runs of production. So we went from, um, okay, we did the samples. We jumped that hurdle. I knocked on doors. We figured that out to like, oh, we have to produce these garments that people have ordered in the next couple months. And we not only do we have to produce them, but you know, we only had the sample size of four. We have to grade them correctly so that everything comes out okay. Um, and so we that was our first sales, but that was, it was almost shocking. Like, oh, oh crap, we have to now do this. And a lot of mistakes were made. You know, I didn't grade things right. Things came out and that at the time it was like my life was over, but it, that was... I've learned, I have no history of this. It was, I've learned that that's just part of the process. And I've learned so every single time, even now I've been doing this forever. And even now I'm like, I don't understand how that didn't come out right. We've done this for six times. You know, I tested it. I die tested it. I did. And it's, there's, there's always something that happens and it's just part of the process I've learned now, but then it was, you know, crippling for sure. So you did that first show with just the samples without with having put samples. anything into, wow, yeah. that's amazing. So you had no website, no marketing infrastructure at all. That was your first port of call. That was it. And um, my husband is a designer. So at the time he wasn't, but now he's the head of brand design at Slack. So he's um, he does visuals really well. So that's been very helpful. Um, and I'm the first person to admit, I mean, he's this is his part he owns part of this brand too, but he makes everything look great. So he does our website. He does at the time he did our, whatever we had marketing wise for that show, um, our lookbooks. Um, and so we had those, but nothing else. Um, we didn't have our website up then either. No. Gosh, that's fantastic. So what year was that? How long ago? That was, that? was 2012. So it was pretty recently in in the big, mean, in the big world of businesses. In the big world that we launched our first line to the consumer in September of 2012. So this was a show probably February or March. I don't know exactly when the show was before then. So the 
you know, brands bought it or stores brought, bought, and then we went into production and then we released it in right. September. Yeah. And that was, so things were in production and then you created your website. Did you have yep. a bricks and mortar store at that point or were you? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just, um, we just had an office. Yep. Right. I'm, I'm so into this. This is amazing. So when did you start to feel then that you were like, oh, this is actually going to happen, I think? I think at the show I had, a, um, I was on a high. Like I was, I couldn't believe it. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Like we're, we're about in 20 stores. I can't believe this. Like, um, and that lasted maybe three days until um, the reality of manufacturing and all of the ro- all of the challenges that come up with that, especially when you have no history um, or connections. Um, so I think then it fell pretty fast into I can't make this happen. There's no way. Like I, I'm, this isn't gonna. It's been it's been a up and down and up and down and up and down. Um, and then of course, then we found our production, our manufacturing and we did it, but then the sizing doesn't come out right. So then you find it and you're like, Oh, this is going to happen. And then you realize the sizing's wrong or something was made incorrectly. And then you're back to, Oh my gosh, this is it. We're going under. And then, so that whole first year until it launched, it was one day. I can't believe I get to live my dream to the next day of I'll never be able to do this because something went wrong. Um, it wasn't until it actually launched that I felt when it launched, I was very, oh, okay, we can do this. Um, even, but more hesitantly because I, I had already seen the challenges that arise in every single step. Um, every step. I mean, it is, and I want people to know that producing in the U S Um, we just started producing in Peru, which we can get into later. And, and it's been amazing. And it's been so much easier. It is, it, I can't describe to you the challenges and the work involved of producing domestically. Um, and that basically goes back to, you are in charge of every aspect. So from my experience, producing in another country, um, you make sure your supply chain is great in Peru. They're known for the organics and their natural dyeing. And it's, it makes me cry the, how beautifully done everything is and their care for the environment. Um, but there's someone there where you're like, this is what I want. Here's the dimensions. And you, and there's someone that handles it from start to finish, even to the labels here. And they all work together in the U S you have this garment, let's say it's a cardigan and, um, and it's sweatshirt fabric and there's buttons and labels. Your I or whoever's in branded is in, in charge of all of that. So you get the fabric, you get it, you get the garments made, you take the garments to the dye house, you dye the garments, possibly couldn't shrink right. Maybe there was a problem with the fabric. Maybe it was a problem with the dye, but everyone's fighting each other on it, blaming each other. And there's no one in the center that can really understand whose fault it was. So you, it all lies on you, if this makes sense. I'm having yeah. a hard time explaining it. And then you, and then you have to go source your buttons or your zippers. And then those have to get to the correct people. And then those, maybe the buttons were wrong, but nobody caught it. And then they're blaming everyone else. So you're the person that's doing every single step and making sure it all comes together in the end. And there are a lot of avenues of error in that yes. process because there's no checks and balances. You'd want your 
person to sew to be like, that's not the right button. And there, it, none of it ever works out correctly. And it's exhausting. And it's, um, you have to really care about the process to even put yourself through that. Um, and then in Peru, and a lot of this is because I have years under my belt, but you, you know, your garment and your, and your measurements and you source your fabric, which comes from, you know, we, we work with a factory there that, you know, we, there's farmers a few hours away that are growing the organic cotton and that cotton is then turned into, I mean, it's all from the ground up of sustainable wow. fashion and you, and you, you send your dimensions of your label and what you want to look like. And they, they, they make the label, they figure it, you know, and, and here you're, you're, then there's a label person. So it's, it's a completely different process. And after we went to Peru, to be honest, I, I understand why people do not manufacture in the U S I wish it's, um, I, if I had more time on my hands, I would set up a system that would help people. And I'm sure they're out there and I just don't know it, but, um, it is a very difficult system with a lot of places where things can go wrong. Um, and, and so anyway, yeah. I found the same here in the UK. You would have your fabric warehouse and you would order your fabric, but maybe you accidentally ordered the wrong shade of natural linen. And then it goes over the printer, it gets printed, nobody flags it, it goes off to the cushion maker, they get done, nobody flags it, they all get labeled, nobody flags it. And then like quite some time later, they all turn up at your studio and they're the wrong color. And there are so many steps at which that could have been caught, but because there's no connection. Yes. It's all individual people. Yeah. There's no, I'd never thought of that as being a problem, I guess, because that's the only way I'd ever done it. So the luxury of having someone like you describe in Peru, just pulling the whole thing together. That's, they they pull it together. You just need someone to be there because you can't, you're from afar. So you, the, the labels come in the manufacturer. Well, then the labels, they need to be checked that they're the right labels, or maybe they're the wrong size, or maybe they did, you know, maybe the image is a, a quarter of an inch off. Well, that stuff all matters to me, but then nobody, there's not eyes on them and then they get put on, yeah. you know, there's just so many. And a lot of it is the fabric and the dyeing have been, um, have been a, really really difficult in all aspects and then you don't know if there was something wrong with the dye process or something wrong with the actual fabric I mean um and then no one will know and then you eat that money and you start over because no one can take a blame so you have to take the blame and then you have to pay for everything all over again um been there yep (laughs) yep it's uh it's fun isn't it it's expensive (laughs) yes it's expensive I like to say that this that my first couple years um were about the same as a college degree in this and so I like to say that I didn't waste the money because I didn't know better in a lot of instances I was learning but that that was my that was my accelerated college I paid for accelerated college yeah that said, one time I did print a thousand pounds worth of linen that was the wrong linen um, that had turned up at the printer and they didn't care. And it was actually nicer than the one I ordered and became my best seller. So sometimes <laughs> it, it, it turns so out much good. prettier. 
Yeah, I didn't even know that color existed. So it can work out, but that's not quite the way you want to do business. Right, right, right. (laughs) You want there to be some intentionality behind your design choices. You're like, I totally meant that. I meant Mm. that. Totally. (laughs) So that was children's wear, but now it's more adult wear that you have on your website now. So why did you make that shift? So after that, we, shortly after that, my husband took a job. We lived in Charleston, South Carolina, um, and my husband took a job in San Francisco and we moved, which ended up being better because I was closer to production in Los Angeles. Um, but I got an office in our little town north of San Francisco. And I, at the time we were maybe in, I don't know, a little, but about a hundred, let's just say a hundred stores. So we were direct to consumer and then on our website and then, um, wholesale. And I began to really not love what I did. Like I became behind the computer managing accounts, um, with everything I just spoke about going wrong. Sometimes there were delays and these stores that really said and promoted that they, um, supported small ethical goods would cancel their orders if it was a day late. And then I couldn't, I was chasing money and it, nothing felt, um, creative anymore. It felt very sad and like a world that I didn't want to live in. So, um, and this was still all kid based. Occasionally I would do some women's stuff and it would sell really well. And, but the rest of it was kid based. And that's when I decided I didn't want I didn't want that. I didn't want to live a life behind the computer chasing money um, and having to sell my my stuff and my story and um, all day long um, instead of creating. So we, I shut down every single wholesale account and quit everything and started looking for a retail spot where I could also have a studio in the back and ship everything from because we've we've always done our own shipping. Um, and, and that's what happened. And then we found it and we renovated it and we opened back up. And when we opened up, um, we opened up to be kids too, more so than now, but women's as well. And the the women's clothing just grew legs of its own. And, um, and that's what we've been doing, what I've been doing ever since. Yeah. Wow. That's so, that's really lovely. And I know exactly what you mean about feeling that the this isn't the job you signed up to do. Right. It, your job description changes without your control. And that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I'm so glad I'm you were speak, able you to. Speak so, you speak so well, so much better. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that you were able to take control back and say, no, I'm doing it this way. And you close the accounts. That's, that's really brave and encouraging. I love, I absolutely love that. It's, so I now, will say that it goes back to being raised, being like you, you do, you figure out what you want to do, but also the only way I've been able to have this brand and to grow it and to have years where I don't make anything, you know, I'm not positive, you know, at the end of the year, money wise. And is because I have a husband that supported me the whole time. And I want to be very clear about that because I think that that is a privilege that I don't want to ignore. Um, I haven't actually had to bring home money to support my family. And so the times where I mess up or that I'm, I completely pivot because I don't like what I'm doing. I've had the privilege to be able to do that. Um, and 
I don't want it to seem any other way. I want that to be very clear because many people don't get that. And I, I, I think that that's a huge leg up. Um, and, and I don't want to ignore that. Okay. Thank you for saying that. Cause that's also, that is really important as well. And thank yeah. you for saying that. And so you don't work with, you don't do any wholesale anymore really, or it's not a main feature of what you do anymore. Is it? No, we don't. We wholesale, maybe there's five stores that we have approached us or that, um, and that we've felt good about. I think I learned a lot in that wholesale and a lot of the, the kids wholesale time of my life when we we're in a hundred stores, I learned a lot. And what I learned is I don't want to ever go back to a soulless um, cloth- clothing manufacturing. And I don't, I, I want to partner with stores that I believe in. I want to keep my creative control. Um, I want people to know who I am. I want to know who they are and I want it to be a perfect partnership. And so a few stores that have reached out, we've said, okay, yeah, this would work. And we're very, very, um, clear that we don't have the normal practices in manufacturing. We're a very small brand um, and things might be late. We don't follow normal seasons. Um, And if you are okay with this, we think this could be good. And, and that's why we won't, I think we will get to more wholesale now. It's been four years, but to this point, no, we, we don't, that's what maybe 1% of our, of our revenue. Right. I think that's how I came across you in the first place, because I saw you with Still We Rise and the gorgeous products that you've created for them. So that's quite different from what you have on your website. So that's a collaboration that you've done. Is it? Yeah. So Lindsay, I love Lindsay and I love everything she does to better our world, to help better our world. And, um, and she pro. I mean, there's a couple of times where we just came together because I can, um, produce things if she has in her head or that we come, you know, we did vote t-shirts. Um, I did a keep families together tea, um, when kids to help, oh my gosh, I can't even, um, to help raise money for children at the, and families at the border. Um, and we ended up raising on our site, we ended up raising over $70,000. And then we combined with Lindsay after that to get more done. And, um, and I think collaborating is a good thing. And we all have different, um, different eyes on us. And we, if we combine that, especially when it's for a good cause, then that's everything you want. You want to raise as much as you can. So I'm, I love to collaborate with other individuals that I feel very strongly about what they're doing. That's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So what is the biggest thing you've learned about marketing and how do you go about your marketing right now? What's your big, what, what do you lean on most in marketing? There's three questions at once there. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I love it. Um, well, to be completely honest, we don't mar- market. We've probably spent a thousand dollars in the last 10 years to market our brand. Oh, um, <laughs> So that is also on our to-do list this year. Um, we um, we just started, I think most of that has come this year. Um, I will say in the beginning with the kids, we did have someone in PR for a few months that I love. And that, and that was more like gifting some items. So I guess that is marketing. And that was relatively short-lived because it was very overwhelming to me. Um, 
And I also have a really hard time. I didn't go into this business to build something big monetarily. I went into this business because I love to do it and I wanted to support myself. And so when things happen and it feels inauthentic, it, um, it doesn't sit well with me. And so I've had a, I've had a lot of internal pushback towards marketing because it feels, um, it feels kind of gross. And I, but at the same time, I know I have to do it eventually to grow this thing that I've loved to create. Um, but I'm having a hard time finding my path there because of, um, how it makes me feel, I guess I should say. Yeah. But also like you are, you're organic. I'm just looking at your Instagram here, like the, the look and feel of your brand is extremely attractive and you've got a really solid following on Instagram. And do you find that a lot of your sales come through Instagram? I mean, it's also consistent and beautiful and such a gorgeous lifestyle and that gorgeous Um, wife for dress. I think that's, oh, thank you. I think that that's almost all of our sales. I think when you look at our actual statistics, which I've hired, um, I've hired someone this year that is um, helping me with all of this. And her name's Paige and she's wonderful. And she, um, she is my second or third full-time employee. And so this year I'm tackling the marketing and even looking at analytics. Like I didn't even, I never had looked, I've never until I, she came on board, looked at our analytics. And so it was more, I know it's, it's it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Um, and I think it's 95% or something of our sales come from 90 some percent come from Instagram. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's wonderful. I mean, that's originate there and then they have a very, our, um, customer retention rate is, is, um, is, is really high. So we, um, we actually don't reach that many people. We just, those people are very loyal. And so now that is what I've learned. (laughs) Thanks Paige. Um, but now I would love to reach more people. Um, so that's where I have to set my, um, inhibitions aside and really tackle that. But it's, it gives me a level of anxiety. I can't describe. Yes. No, I completely appreciate that. So you must really nurture your customers. Well, I mean, your customers are coming back to you because they feel they feel loved, I guess. I think that that's a huge part of it. I, I, it's not because we've done everything right, to be completely honest. Like, I'm not seasoned in this still. And so things aren't made right. Sizing comes out wrong sometimes um, with anything. And I will say this, with anything, if, the, if a seam comes undone, that's normal life. Like things will happen because nothing is perfect. And I think it's the way that you communicate back to those customers and that you um, you establish those relationships. That's what matters to me. And I think that that um, without necessarily doing that to to in order to retain that customer, it's more just I want to have good relationships with people. It yeah. has come back in in a way of being of, of creating a loyal customer base. Yeah, wonderful. So, what have you found the most challenging facet of of the last ten years? What has been the most personally difficult for you? That's a great question. Um, Business-wise, I think it's figuring everything out. It's figuring, it's also, we don't have um, funding. So we bootstrap everything. Um, in the beginning, we had someone um, fund a little bit and we that was gone in like five months because it wasn't much and I didn't know what I was doing. And so, you know, that was 10 years ago. So since then, it's been 
um, bootstrapping and almost everyone we work with, they don't work on credit. They work in checks or so you have to have the money into the account to pay the manufacturing. And so it's constantly, um, it's just bootstrapping your whole brand to grow. And that's been, especially as we've grown and we're producing more hundreds or thousands of things, as opposed to like 20 of something, yeah. um, you have to have that money in order to pay for it. And so yeah. that's been challenging. I do think at some point we will have to get out loans or, um, or have someone come in to invest in the, in the company. Um, but that also gives me anxiety. basically I have anxiety. Yeah. That also gives me anxiety and is a lot to figure out. So that's been hard on a personal level. It's been incredibly hard with um, like any parent, not alone, um, trying to run a business um, and and have three kids. So um, and that's for anyone. And we now have a store, so we have online. Um, and our brands are producing on top, so, but we have it online and we have a flagship store and now we have a coffee shop in our flagship store. So we have essentially three businesses, um, or I have, three oh, that's businesses. the coffee thing. I saw yeah. the coffee on your website and it's like coffee as well. Yes. <laughs> but I understand now. Yep. Yep. So our biz, so our, um, we partnered with Lady Falcon Coffee Club in San Francisco, which was incredibly important to me. Um, a lady named Buffy McGuire, who's a friend now, I love her dearly, um, started this coffee brand and she roasts everything in Oakland. And um, she's just a wonderful human. And I reached out to her because we knew we wanted a coffee shop in our space. We wanted to create more of community and just said, I would love to collaborate with you. We were supposed to collaborate with Stumptown out of Portland. Um, it just didn't feel it didn't feel right we wanted to um I wanted it to be woman-owned and local and have some soul behind it and so I just reached out to her and she met with me and ended up agreeing to it and it's been wonderful I we you know we I do all the hiring and I built it out but she has done all the training and help we know we sell her beans and we use her beans and um and that's been a one an endeavor that's that we absolutely adore and a great addition to our space yeah that's really nice and what's the biggest having a, a physical shop mm-hmm. so what's the biggest challenge with the physical shop then how well does that work for you um to be to you want me to be honest yes <laughs> <laughs> I it's not my favorite um personally I love having it I love having a space for the community I love the coffee shop I love being able to see our brand among other brands that we carry that we love. Um, I love all of that. I do not love to be there. Um, I feel very overwhelmed there um, because you, you know, that's what you're doing. You can't get anything else done. And you, and as someone that owns, you know, you're like, Oh, I have to call with production and I really need to design this. And I have all these emails to do and I have to ship this out. And, and it feels, I, um, it's, it feels too much for me. So in the beginning I was there a lot. Um, and then I realized that I have to separate myself personally for what I do. Um, and now we have a retail manager and we have a wonderful coffee manager named Sam. Um, I worked with a friend, her name's Allie for three years. That was our retail manager. She recently left. I loved her and we just, um, hired a new lovely, lovely person, Maggie. Um, and, so I've learned that those roles have to be 
filled with people that I love that can fully, um, fully invest in those roles. And my role, and that's what was hard in the beginning, what I do is make clothes, design them and sell them. That's literally what this brand is. But that was 5% of my time was going to that because I had to fill all these other roles. And, and, and that, and it's only been in the last less than a year that I've pulled myself away from the day-to-day of all of those to focus on the design and production, which is also what I love. It's also where it's, it's my strength. The other, those are not my strengths. This is those, that's my strength. And it's interesting because in the last year we, we grew 200% maybe. And so it was such a lesson of being, you know, everyone says hire someone better than you at these things. And I'm like, oh, I have to do it all because I don't have money and I can't. And then you realize you have to, once you, once you take that leap, it all makes sense. Of course, somebody else should be doing this. I'm horrible at it. Of course, someone (laughs) else should be. And you focus on what you do and that's when it all starts to work. Um, that is anyway. wonderful to hear. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. So my next question was going to be, is there anything you would approach differently doing it again? But I think you yeah. might have just yeah. answered that. That's it. I mean, it's, like, it's advice I got, I've received for years, but it's a really hard thing to actually put into practice when you especially are bootstrapping your business. It's a lot yeah. to be like, I need to hire this person and this is how much I'm going to be paying, but I could just do it myself. And when nobody's in the shop, then I could work in it. So you make all these excuses because it's a huge leap of faith. Um, but I really now see like you have, you have, there's no way to grow if you have no room to do anything. Yes. That's really, really wonderful to hear. So my final question for you is what would be your advice to somebody who wants to start a business in your industry? It's a really good question. I, I say, go for it. I think that there's, um, it's a beautiful life. I love what I do. I say, listen to your intuition. Hopefully it's good. And know what feels right and what doesn't feel right. Because like in any business, um, there are good people and there are people that aren't so great. And you have to weed through that and figure out who, who actually is doing the right practices in manufacturing. Are they just telling you they are or are they? Um, and I think that just go for it. Try to find people that can help you. Um, and follow your intuition and know that you don't have to start big. If I was going to start all over again, I wouldn't have started with a whole collection and manufacturing. I would have started with a few items and have focused on those items and really learned the craft in a few items before I would have grown to other items. That was, that was definitely not smart on our part. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much. That has been an absolutely gripping conversation. I have learned a huge amount from listening to you for the last 40 minutes. It's been Thank wonderful. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I hope I, I'm not great at speaking. I jumble a lot, but I hope some of that made sense. Completely. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.